This is episode number 102 of the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, we do our second part of the conversation that myself and Adam Bohannock had with Dustin Smith. Um, in this episode, we talk about having discernment as a worship leader when we're picking our sets and when we're leading, uh, the importance of community within our worship communities, and um, really just how to start the songwriting process and, and really how it needs to be focused in on God as we do it. So here we go with episode number 102 of the Church Collective Podcast. You said too, like make our songs more rich biblically. Like, could you maybe speak to your songwriting process a little bit? Like, how do you make sure what you're writing is um, theologically accurate? Yeah. Well, I, you know, for me, I always tell young songwriters, you can't, you can't fish from an empty pond. Hmm. So you, you know, you got to be a reader. You got to read the Word of God. But you got to read good teaching on the Word of God. And um, so to me, I'm a reader, and I love to read. And so I always have uh, a depth of the Word. Anytime I'm sitting in a room and somebody brings up an idea, um, I always attach it to a scripture. I always think of a scripture. Now, it may, we may not sing the scripture directly, but I'm, al- I'm, also go- I'm always going to let the Word of God direct direction our talk. And... Um, so I, I feel like a lot of, a lot of times it's because the songs aren't theologically correct. A lot of times just because people don't know the word of God, they know, they know uh, certain scriptures that they really like, but they don't read the Bible for, uh, as a whole. And so I think it's important that if you want to continually pull out big fish, that you're continually digging deeper wells. And uh, the deeper wells you dig, I think the more theologically correct your songs will be. And then I would submit them to other people. You know, I write, I'm mostly write with other guys. And so, um, you know, I write with other guys who are going to hold my feet to the fire theologically too. And then I have guys in my life. My father-in-law is a pastor, been a pastor 40 some years. And I hand it to him and ask him what he thinks about it. Hmm. And, but again, like I'm a studier of the word. And so when I, when I get into a song, I'm always trying to base it on, you know, is this, does this line up with the word of God? Yeah. That's good. You got one, Adam? Um, when you, you're saying you're writing with other guys, um, what does that look like? Do you bring the, the skeleton of a song and they, they kind of fill in or, or add a, a verse? Or how does the, co- uh, the collaborative effort work with you? Yeah, it's interesting because it changes with each write. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be writing the next couple of days and I know the guy I'm writing with, it's going to be an easy write because we'll just worship together and it'll flow out of our worship time. Um, There's other ones that I bring in stuff I've been working at home and then I always have ideas. I'm riding in the car and I always have my phone with me. And so I'm always recording, you know, basic melodies or something that I hear as I'm driving. And so I'll always come in with some fresh ideas or something I read, a line that I read. And then, but our, honestly, most of our stuff comes out of less of sitting down to write a song and more sitting down talking about where we're all at in life. And the song is usually actually written during the first hour or two hour talk. Um, I'm writing down things people are saying, you know, um, I had somebody the other day I wrote with and she really had, she had Lyme's disease, was basically laying on her deathbed. 
And she said, God started to to breathe, but I had to be brave enough to stand up. And I was like, Ooh, that's brave enough to stand up, you know? And to me, that's a song. Like you can breathe your breath, but I have to be brave enough to stand up. And it's that brave enough to step on water. That's, you know, uh, that's roaring out in front of you. Even with Jesus standing on it still doesn't always make it easy to get on it, you know? And, um, and so listening to people talk and just having those conversations I would recommend to anybody who goes into a co-write, go in with at least three to four hours to do it. If you can, in the first hour, you need to drink a cup of coffee and, uh, or a milkshake. <laughs> I guess whichever whatever age you are and uh and just hang out talk talk with each other you know and find out what's God been saying to you and what's happening in your life right now Hmm. man so what's um what's inspiring you lately like what are you reading what's God been teaching you well really what's been inspiring us I mean my team and I all of us moved here uh to Nashville about uh six to eight months ago Hmm. and we're trying to prove out what we're talking about. We're trying to prove out community. And so we've been living by the scripture. You know, the Bible doesn't say they'll know us by how good our music is or how powerful we minister. It says they will know you by your love for one another. Yeah. <laughs> and so I think it's one thing for people to say we love God, but it's a whole other thing when we can actually love each other and prove this thing out. Mm-hmm. And so we've really been studying the movement of the Spirit of God. And the Bible says the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, those are huge right there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And I always thought, you know, those are things I need for myself. And then you realize like, well, that if they're fruit, they're really supposed to be for somebody else to pick off of you and eat. Uh, If you're eating your own fruit, you're a weirdo, you know? So I think it's just trying to learn how to uh, live together in community and prove it out and, and support each other in it. You know, and everything else I think is going to flow out of that. That's good, especially especially when you watch our culture. Man, it is hilarious that that Candace Chewbacca lady. Uh, you know, she just puts herself laughing, and you watch the joy come out of it. And how many people just loved getting to laugh again? And you thought joy is one of the fruits of the spirit. Why are we not more joyful? (laughs) You know, like Christians can be so miserable. And, uh, like sometimes I think we need to just realize some of the things we think are so weighty are so, so small in the scheme of life. And I think sometimes we just need to take a big giant breath and realize that the spirit of God is wanting to really uh, give us life and, uh, joy, you know, love. And a lot of it's going to have to come from us. Uh, for it to come to us. Mm. That's good stuff. <laughs> so hopefully that helps. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I want to go back to something you said earlier about you were you were saying, and I think this is pretty close to what you said. You said that you know in the church we've we've taken worship and instead of it being a powerful weapon in our warfare, we've turned it against each other. Yeah. And, um, I wonder if you could speak, because you, you obviously have some experience with this, um, if you could speak to how we can be unifiers, not just in our church, um, but, but I'll be honest, you know, my my church and, and theology is kind of middle of the road, so I, I'm, I'm technically charismatic, so I hear all the stuff you're saying and, I, and it resonates. And then at the same time, because I'm, I'm on... I'm on one end of it. I kind of know my friends who are on the other side, you know, Baptists and, and so on, who would, they're, 
if they're still listening, you know, good on them. They're, they're, you know, <laughs> brave souls. And, uh, so, so I wonder if you could speak, uh, both within the church locally and then in the church universal, um, how we can be unifiers as opposed to dividers. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, for me again, when it breaks down to being real, I mean, we just ministered at Nashville rescue mission and, um, when we ministered there, I also ministered at an Amway conference of 15,000 people at the U.S. Bank Arena in Cincinnati. I also ministered at a 500 church, Lutheran church. And so it is interesting because when I, you know, I, pro- I know I'd be classified as charismatic, but I'm not trying to get people to be charismatic as much as I am just trying to get them to be real with God and and see a real God do real things in their lives. And I think we become such professional church people that sometimes we forget, like, Jesus had dirt on him. You know, like, he's he's walking around and he's not—it's difficult because we've cleaned things up so much. And so one of the things—okay, so I said that. I know my—anyways, one of the things—I had a talk with a guy— his name's Bob Sorge, and Bob, I don't, some of some may know he he can't talk more than an hour, and he just whispers because he had a, a vocal surgery that went bad. And he was a worship leader, and he's written some phenomenal books on exploring worship and and stuff like that. But he asked me a question. We were sitting at a lunch, and he slid me a note, and it said, "What would you say to my friends who believe worship has become a rock concert?" And I, I said, okay, I said, you know, I lead a church that's a pretty charismatic church, but I think that if this Sunday, if your friends would show up at church, I would be willing to take away the drums, I'll take away all the electric guitars, I'll bring it down to just the piano and an organ, and I will sing just hymns this week. And I'm pretty sure that my church, knowing my church, that they will sing those hymns um, the same way they'll sing choruses. If I'm willing to do that for your friends, are you willing to tell me that your friends will come in and because we're doing hymns that they'll worship Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? And he sent me, he slid me a note back and he said, my, my friends aren't going to change anything. And I said, then the problem's not really the songs. The problem is really the heart. And I think no matter what denominational background you come from, no matter what what type of songs you sing, man, I love some of the hymns. I, I think things are actually going to be moving away further and further from the big, huge guitars and all that. I think it's starting to strip back down to stand around a campfire with an acoustic guitar singing Kumbaya, you know? Uh, I just feel like people are kind of getting worn out, too, of having to always feel like they're performing. And so I think that the truth of it is, no matter what congregation you go to, everybody's at different levels, you know, uh, of levels of experience, levels of trust. I just feel like, you know, I, I quoted that earlier. Jesus said, you're, you praise me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. But then he says this, he says, because your rules are just taught by, or he said, your rules are just taught by men. He said, your worship of me is in vain because he said, you hold on to the traditions of man, but you've let go of the commands of God. And I think at some point we have to look and see, are we holding on to just traditions? Um, 
are we grabbing onto the commands of God? And we have to truthfully look at it, no matter what our denomination is, and no matter what how traditional our worship is, we have to look at it and say, even if it's traditional worship, and if a church brought me in this week and they're Baptist, I'm not going to come in, and my team knows this, I'm not going to come in and try to run over them and do our thing. I want to find out where they're at. I want to do songs they're familiar with, and I want to try to do everything I can to win their hearts that we might turn them back to God. Some, you know, And not all of them need to be turned. Some of them are there. But I want to make sure that everybody is pulled together. And so I think we have to start looking at it, no matter what our background is, I think we have to start looking at the heart issue and say, are we a people who've just gone into kind of remote control mode where we sing the song, you know, go back to an old song, shout to the Lord. Do we sing the song, shout to the Lord, and never shout to the Lord? Hmm. Like, I don't. So if I'm a kid in church and I say shout to the Lord, my assumption is I should shout at some point. But if he shouts, are we going to tell him to be quiet because we don't do that here? And if we don't do that here, what else do we sing that we don't do? Hmm. Do we, maybe we say bow, but we never bow. Do we say we love you, but we never love you? I don't know where the line is drawn when we speak something, but we don't do it, you know? And so I think it's just being a people who follow through with their words. And I think it's really funny that worship of God is one of the only things that people are always concerned we're going to do too much and get too much energy from. But in real relationships, you're out doing sports or you're with your kids and you're never like, man, I'm going to praise them too much or I'm going to tell them good job too much or I'm going to hug them too much. And then it comes to God and it's like, okay, don't, don't do anything crazy here because it might be bad, you know? Right. And so I think we just have to look at attitudes of the heart and look at our own hearts. I have to look at mine constantly. Just because you're charismatic doesn't mean you're right. You might be a charismatic freak who's yelling all the time. And sometimes God's like, shut up. I'm trying to talk. Like I'm trying to see your people and they can't hear over you yelling at them all the time. (laughs) And so it really, to me, doesn't have to do with being charismatic or being traditional. It has to do with where's the heart and can we go after this? You know, when you're having a conversation with somebody, stand face to face with them, you can tell if they're looking you in the eyes or if they're looking for the next conversation. Hmm. Yeah. And I I feel a lot of times in worship services, our job is to make sure people are connecting with his eyes. You know, 2 Corinthians, it's one of my driving scriptures for our team. It has been for years. 2 Corinthians, uh, it says, for the weapons we fight with are not of this world, but they're powerful to demolish every stronghold, argument, and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And I think we have to remember that everything that we're fighting through in church, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so if that's true, what are we fighting? We're fighting every stronghold argument and pretension that has set itself up against the knowledge of God. And so every fight we have in church should be to, to have more of the knowledge of who God is. And we have to realize when we're fighting each other, um, that's not the right battle. The right battle is to fight those spirits that have come in to try to build up strongholds, have tried to build up arguments and pretensions. And we're going to use our weapons of the fruit of the spirit and life and joy and peace to be able to dispel every one of those walls. And if we can't do it within our own groups and our own churches, how in the world are we going to do it in a world that hates us? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. I think, I think a lot of what you're saying too is about listening. Cause, cause as somebody who would kind of self identifies, I'm, I'm, I, I usually say I'm the diet Coke of charismatics, but like, <laughs> that, that, uh, 
you know, I feel like every time I've been in a service where somebody has kind of been, I would say, inappropriate, or it's just listening. They haven't listened to what's going on. Yeah. And and you can't use, well, I was listening to the Holy Spirit, because what you're saying then is that everybody else in the room wasn't. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but I think listening is a big thing. And one of the things I noticed as you were talking was you were talking about when you go into another church, um, you know, it's that you, and I, I find this, anytime I, I see a guest worship leader fail, it's because they haven't listened, you know, to the heartbeat of the church as they've walked in. And, and I wonder if you could speak to that, because you do that a lot. And yeah. I know that, you know, if, especially if you've only led worship at your church, and I, I can imagine the worship leader who came up, they got saved at a church, they were raised up at a church, and then they get asked to go lead worship at some other church or another church's camp or retreat, and they're they totally blow it because they don't know how to listen and how to, how to lead somewhere else. I wonder if you could speak to that. Yeah, that's great, man. I, every, every church we go to, one of the first things we do is ask them for a list of their 20 most used songs because, you know, I write songs all the time. I've got, we've got multiple CDs out of songs we do and songs that we believe in that we feel are powerful and that we want people to know. But when I go into church, I did not come in to do a concert. And so even, you know, no matter where I go, I want to do songs that they might be able to grab onto. And so I'm always listening even ahead of time. And I'm asking the pastor, where are you guys at? We always call and ask the pastor, where where are you guys at as a church? What's God been speaking to you as a pastor? How can we walk how can we walk into your church and be a benefit to you? And I think that worship leaders, it's hard because we find our identity in it almost, and I don't. I don't find my identity as a worship leader because eventually God might ask me to be a pastor. He might ask me to be, I don't know, something else, but I'm going to be so stuck because this is how, what I find my identity in. And if you find your identity as a servant, then you're going to every week show up to serve and you're not going to get as upset as if we don't get to do something uh, that I really like. Or, you know, if we didn't get to do that fourth song, which I thought was going to be the hugest part of the service. But you're actually going to do exactly what you said. Servants, listen. What do you need today? What do we need to do? And first thing you're going to do is ask God, what do we need to do today? And this is what's hard. Sometimes it changes what God needs in a service. And people say all the time, well, God knows what he's going to do ahead of time. Yeah, he does. But he's always, this is interesting because I I believe... uh, that people sometimes actually reject what God wants to do for the day. And so my job is to do everything I can to tear down those walls to keep people uh, from experiencing who he is. And so sometimes things shift because different spirits try to rule the room. And God's saying, I want you to turn this direction now because this is happening and I want you to speak directly to it. And if you can't read the room in a sense of listening to the Spirit of God, but listening, I say every one of Jesus's sermons were actually question and answer time because the Bible constantly says, in discerning their thoughts, Jesus said, which tells me he might have had a planned thing he was going to say, but within the sermon, more sermons were coming based on what the people were saying 
in their hearts. Hmm. And Jesus started answering their questions. And I believe we can do that with songs sometimes. Sometimes it's with the repeat of a chorus because somebody is asking the question, is this really for me? Do I, can I really get hope today? And you sing one more line that says, you're the name above all names. You are worthy to be praised. And somehow something pierced because you were listening to the room and you were actually willing to lay down your own pride, lay down your own list, just to make sure those people got help. So I think, you know, showing up as a servant is number one, and then it'll keep you from getting into as many battles with your pastor too, because he knows you showed up with concern and you're going to listen. And so I think it's really important for us. I've been doing it a long time. I mean, like I said earlier, I've been doing it a long time. You can tell I'm a, I'm a strong leader. Uh, I believe that it's warfare, you know, and I feel like a warrior when I do it. But every single pastor that I walk into knows that I submit to them, if it's my church or not. I submit to the pastor that's in that room because when I leave, he's the one that's going to have to pay the bills. He's the one that's going to have to call the shots when I'm gone. And I want to make sure that I came in and supported him. And when I was at my church for 12 years, 14 years really, uh, my pastor knew, even if we didn't always agree, that I was always going to go with what he needed because I showed up to serve. It did not mean I didn't have an opinion. It did not mean I agreed with his. It just meant that when it came down to it, I was going to follow what he asked me to do. Thanks for listening. As always, please head over to thechurchcollective.com and hit that contact button. We want to connect with you. We want to connect you with others. There's so many great ways to get plugged in. So we hope to hear from you soon. God bless you today.